belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for May 2nd, 2021 is called, What Makes an Idol? The speaker is John Ray and the location is the Ray Homestead in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome, everybody. If you're watching on the live stream, if you're listening on the podcast, my name is John Ray. I'm part of the church here, Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. We're really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, Jeff prayed, but I want to I want us to take a minute. I know in the disconnectedness of this uh, medium like this, it's easy to get distracted. So I want to invite you just to lay aside all the distractions, um, turn off the alerts, and take a deep breath. Let it out. Bring your attention and your awareness to the Holy Spirit who is here with us. God, the Holy Spirit is the one who's gathered us, who's called us. God, the Holy Spirit is the one who is in us and working through us, among us. You know, when I was a kid, I was really into playing war. I lived in a neighborhood full of other kids, so we had some days-long epic battles. We'd all grab our toy guns, split into sides, and the rapid of mouth-made machine gun fire would soon ensue. Of course, there were major style points for how dramatically you could die once you were shot, as well as not a few aggressive agitated conversations about who shot whom first and thus had to play dead for the allotted amount of time before they could rejoin the battle. Suffice it to say there were no real casualties other than scrapes and bruises from diving for cover behind plants and bushes. It was all fun and games because it wasn't actual war. The guns were fake. We weren't real soldiers. There was no real enemy or no real threat. It was all make-believe. But we know it often doesn't stop there, does it? If we carry on with that imagination, as we are wont to do as humans, the toy guns become more realistic looking until they are replaced with real guns. The choosing of sides becomes more and more critical until it becomes permanent. The fake deaths turn into real carnage. Now, hear me out. This is not a polemic against kids having make-believe battles. But it's a sober reminder for us to stop and consider what happens when we lose sight of who we really are, who others really are. And what's going on in the first place? Because when we don't, the consequences can be deadly, as we'll see in the text this week. You see, when our imagination becomes corrupted, focused on the wrong thing to the wrong end, we start creating idols. Idols that promise to keep us safe by giving us power over other people or power over nature, or forgetting our own createdness. 
Indeed, creating idols springs in part from a failure to consider the meaning of our own createdness. Well, let's take a look at the text. We're working our way through Isaiah, and we're considering Isaiah chapters 46, 47, 48 this week. Like many weeks in this study, we don't have time to read the whole thing or consider everything that's going on in those. There's just not enough time on a Sunday morning, but that's part of our weekly study. So this past week, we've been considering this, and I want to encourage you to engage in that process. Read through the text, maybe multiple times, and then consider this part that we're looking at this morning. We're going to specifically hone down to the first eight verses of chapter 46. There are a couple things to keep in mind as we read this. One is that most likely this was a song or a chant, um, an epic poem of sorts that would be committed to memory and that the people would revisit time and time again. The second thing we need to understand is that this passage in particular is dripping with sarcasm. This is not just a um, prose piece on, hey, do this, don't do this. No, this is a, this is a jab. This is an expose. This is a sarcastic response to the way the people of Israel have fallen away and fallen towards idolatry. The, the prophet here is trying to get through to the people, get through to their hard hearts by utterly ridiculing their actions so that maybe, just maybe, they'll pay attention and repent. Well, let, let's look at the text. Again, we're going to read the first eight verses of chapter 46. Bell needs, kneels down, Nebo bends low. Their images weigh down animals and beasts. Your heavy images are burdensome to tired animals. Together they bend low and kneel down. They are unable to rescue the images. They themselves head off into captivity. Listen to me, O family of Jacob, all you who are left from the family of Israel. You who have been carried from birth. You have been supported from the time you left the womb. Even when you were old, I will take care of you. Even when you have gray hair, I will carry you. I made you and I will support you. I will carry you and rescue you. To whom can you compare me? To whom can you liken me? Tell me, whom do you think I resemble so I can be compared? Those who empty out gold from a purse and weigh out silver on the scale, hire a metalsmith, who makes it into a god? They bow down and worship it. They put it on their shoulder and carry it. They put it in its place. and It just stands there. It does not even move from its place. Even when someone cries out, it does not reply. It does not deliver him from his distress. Remember this so you can be brave. Think about it. He ends. Now the comparison and contrast here is pretty easy. There's gods who are carried. There's God who carries us. There's a God who you make out of metal. You put him on a shelf and he stays there. Then there's the God who is everywhere, moving in and out, around, through us, around us. There is a God who is mute to our afflictions, mute to our prayers. And then there is a God who hears. There is the God that weighs you down, that bends your back. And then there is the God who lifts you up. Think about this. 
Now, if this seems so obvious, though, why would there why would there be such instruction for us to think about this? Why would there be so much emphasis? Well, because we don't seem to get it, y'all. Look, I maybe you're like me, and you've heard a number of sermons on idols, why what they are, and why they're so dangerous, and. We'll come up with a list of modern day idols and we'll come up with great illustrations of them. And then we'll be, they'll be named and we'll be shamed for, you know, giving in to them. But it's easier to name the idols we have personally and as a society than to really come to grips with why. Why are we so hell bent on creating idols in the first place? Why? Why does it seem so natural and come so easily for us to do this? I mean, sure, look, we could name and shame the idols like we've heard. We've heard lots of sermons on that, particularly those created in worship by others, right? It's easier to name other people's idols than our own. And it's a good thing to recognize them for what they are. But have we really stopped to consider why each of us? is so naturally drawn towards this. Why is it that idolatry doesn't end in the Old Testament or even with pre-modern society, but it continues throughout the Bible and is alive and well today? Again, when our imagination becomes corrupted, focused on the wrong things to the wrong ends, idols are created. Idols that promise to keep us safe by giving us power over other people or creature, or nature, or our own createdness. Creating an idol, again, springs in part from a failure to consider that createdness. Listen to me, says God. To whom can you compare and liken me? Think about it, the prophet says. Well, let's, let's do that for a minute. Let's consider this. Let's think about it specifically how it relates to other people, how it relates to nature, and how it relates to ourselves. Consider this. Do we serve a God who is carrying us or a God that we're trying to carry? We live in a society that is seems extremely devoted to the idea of taking back America for God. Isn't this just a way of saying we are carrying our God? We are the ones who have to do the heavy lifting. We are the ones who have to do the burdensome task of establishing with that. Or, or similar, like something like put God back in schools as if God were a static creature, an image, an idol that we worshiped by making monuments and plaques and places that you had to go to, to do that. You know, that's, that's idolatrous with that. The fear that somehow God will disappear from society or disappear from the world if, if we don't mandate worship, establish it in our laws. You know, that's a burdensome God that we are having to carry. 
not a God who is carrying us. Think about it. Think about what it means, what it would mean for that God if it was dependent on us to carry that God. Likewise, are we forgetting our role even in creation? And I think about this a lot, especially got to spend all day yesterday outside the birds and the bugs and the the trees and the pollen even with it. Do we cultivate respectful wonder? How much of our imagination is just fixed on what we can produce in pixelated form through technology? Are we dull to the bird song in the morning? Are we blind to the seasons and the growing things? Does the earth exist only for us to consume it, to use it, and then discard it? Or are we creating this respectful wonder? And are we aware of our rightful place in it? Not to colonize it, not to dominate it, to steward it. That my place, your place in creation is to continually steward that for the good of everyone out of respect to past generations and in preparation for future generations. That the world doesn't end when we end here. But this world, as we see in Revelation even, is going to be restored, renewed, and, and is, has a permanence in God's plan. Do we understand our rightful place there? We're not lords of this earth. It is not ours just to abuse and use as we please. We have a place. Do we understand that rightful place? And finally, do we understand our interconnectedness? Do we understand that none of our actions are without consequences? Everything that we do, everything that we buy, everything that we consume, and likewise, everything that we preserve, everything that we nurture, everything that we take care of, has a direct effect on those around us, not just human life, but all of life. Do we understand that? Have we forgotten our role in creation and thus created idolatrous ways of going about in our relation to the environment? Finally, are we creating, are we forgetting who created whom? How do we order our day? Does it start with our own needs? Does it start with our own demands, our own desires? Or do we take time to cultivate an awareness of the one who created us? To set our minds on maybe what God has intended for us that day. What is the heart of God, the mind of God? Do we, do we start our days that way? Or do we start with our list of our things that we must accomplish, that we must do? How do we interact with other people? Are other people a means to an end? Just like the environment, something to be consumed, used, discarded once we're done with them? How do we interact with other people? How do we interact with the environment? We talked about this. Even from the very start, 
Where is our place? And here might be one of the most intriguing ones. How do we interact with our own self? How do we consider our abilities and potentials? What are the things we're dissatisfied with that we give ourselves no slack? We think we ought to be better. We ought to do this thing. We ought to be able to accomplish or to achieve or to endure or to overcome in our own strength. What are we dissatisfied with? What do we despise in ourselves? It may seem a it may seem a stretch, but it is an idolatrous imagination to think that we, by ourselves in our own ability, should be able to do everything on our own, to achieve everything, to overcome anything, to endure anything. No, no. Do we not remember that we are created? That this life is a gift and that we have limitations as being created and not the creator. Likewise, even in our dissatisfaction, the the flip side of that is what do we think more highly of than we should? What do we consider in ourselves that is so superior, so far beyond the abilities of those around us that people really ought to pay more attention to us? People really ought to be giving us more credit because we're pretty special. And then both of those are products of idolatrous imagination, corrupted imagination. Look, friends, fighting imaginary battles when you're a kid is fine. Being the hero, defeating the enemy, dying valiantly. Hey, play act all you want. But maturing in Christ demands putting away those childhood fantasies, those things, and understanding that they are make-believe, they are imaginary, that's fine there, but not letting them seep into the reality of who we are. Putting on the mature mind of Christ means cultivating an active gospel imagination, one that rightly considers free from idolatrous corruption. Who created us? What our role is? The interconnectedness with the environment and cultivating wonder at it, as well as seeing other people as they truly are and ourselves as we are. Understanding that each of us is created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. And this leads us to extend hospitality, a place at the table for everyone. Who are we to exclude anyone who shares in this createdness? Living into this createdness also gives form to our becoming. Our further and ongoing formation more and more to reflect the proper image of God that we are created in. In a way, we are not idols, which is the corruptions, but we are icons. We are reflections of the one who created us. We don't replace the one who created us. We don't take the place of, but we reflect it. As Christians, we are called to be icons, icons in this world. And the corruption of that is idolatry. 
Last, the confession that we are in fact created, not creator, worshipers of the true God and not the idols that we create forms our faith. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what, this is what it means to be a church in a world full still, even today, of idolaters and idolatrous imaginations and the danger of corrupting our own imagination that way. Our faith says no. Our faith says no to idolatry, no to idols, no to idolatrous thinking. This is what we're called to consider. This is, called, this is what we're called to think about. This is what we're called to do as a church. We want to transition now to this time of offering and communion and reflection. Again, just because I got the screen right now, don't believe me. Read the text. Do the work. Consider it. Think about it. Give yourself over to the word of God, to the spirit of God. Talk about it among your family, with your friends, with your community. Dig into this. Root out every idolatrous imagination. Repent of every idolatrous use of the environment, of your friends, of society. And also, like all things, understand that this starts with humble receiving. It's not something you're going to achieve or earn. It is a gift. Our effort is given in response to what has already been done to us. All truth starts with this humble receiving. All transformation starts with understanding the generosity that we have been shown. We practice this at the table. We practice this by giving. And we give because it is a sign that all of us have something to give. We're not nothing. We have things. But we also do it recognizing that all of us have needs. None of us has it all together. None of us is secure unto ourselves by ourselves. We break that illusion. We shatter that illusion by giving our offer, receiving the offerings. And also by taking the bread and the cup. And Jesus did that, you know, that last night he was with his disciples. He took the bread. He said, this is my body. Broken for you. It sustains us. A gift sustains us. Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood for you, poured out for you. We, the sacrifice has been made. There's no penalty left. There's no bill that's going to come due in this sense. It's been paid. It's done. So take these things now where you are in humble gratefulness. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.